Welcome to episode six of Still Updating. Today we're talking about document AI. People have been using computers to understand documents for a long time. You've probably heard of OCR or optical character recognition, which has been around in some form for decades. However, the last several years has seen an emergence of next-gen machine learning techniques to extract information from documents much more effectively. Our guest today is Andrei Baranovsky, who's an active open source contributor and founder of Katana ML. Andrei's open source work focuses on making these new document AI approaches more accessible and easier to deploy into production. In our conversation, we talk about the evolution of document AI tech, as well as Andrei's personal experience building with these new tools and using them in real world settings. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to Still Updating. This show is an open-ended exploration about data, AI, and how modern businesses are using technology to compete in the marketplace. Still Updating is brought to you by Endeavor Labs. By no coincidence, I, Nathan Gould, am both the founder of Endeavor Labs and the host of this podcast. Endeavor Labs is a data and AI-focused consultancy that helps businesses become smarter, faster, and leaner by leveling up their data game. With that said, let's get to the show. Cool, and we're live. So um, today I'm joined by Andrei Barbnowski. And uh, Andrei, I, I, I met you, well, I reached out to you out of the blue because I watched one of your YouTube videos, uh, which have been, been very informative. I was doing some background research for a client and, and learned a lot by watching you. Yeah. Very excited to have you on the show. For, for our listeners, Andrei is an AI and ML entrepreneur building his own product uh, focused on document AI. So uh, I have lots of questions for you, Andre, and uh, I'll get to as many of them as I can on the show. So I'll stop blabbering. Andre, why don't you uh, quickly introduce yourself and we'll go from there. Uh, yeah, so thanks a lot for inviting me. And just to quickly introduce myself, I'm coming from enterprise software, enterprise, um, enterprise software development background, and I was working for many years with Oracle, like with Oracle middleware and uh, Java, and uh, Oracle servers and so on. And then from around 2018, I decided to uh, invest my time full-time actually in open source in Python and completely switch the career, like just like completely from zero uh, to, to start. And yeah, <clears throat> the main motivation was to uh, build my own product and uh, uh, try to make it a successful product and uh, we focus on uh, ML, and this is the kind of uh, short background. Cool. So g- give us the, the short version of that journey. So first of all, that's a, a pretty uh, a pretty sharp pivot from, from Oracle development into AI and ML. What, what, yeah. was that, uh, what, what was that like as far as climbing the learning curve? Um, in ML, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it took uh, probably, it, it was quite, quite steep. I, I would say it was like, Two years or so, but uh, it's good that uh, financially speaking, I, I had um, uh, I had savings from this Oracle work, so uh, there was no pressure, uh, too much pressure for me to kind of uh, get as quick as possible an ML. So uh, I had this luxury of um, uh, moving slowly and exploring different technologies and uh, trying one thing, trying another thing, and uh, at the end figuring out uh, which would work uh, best uh, for my solution, which uh, kind of ML models and, and, and so on, and doing a lot of research and, and so on. Got it, cool. So 
tell me more about what you're trying to build. So I know you're you're interested in, in document AI. You're building this thing called Sparrow. What what is Sparrow, yeah. and what what problem are you trying to solve? Yeah. So while working with um, Oracle customers, uh, I saw that probably kind of the most practical use case would be with ML would be document processing because um, all enterprise customers they they have lots of documents, contracts, transactions. And uh, often these documents either scanned pictures or uh, even the PDFs. Uh, often you need to, uh, there are different uh, systems with different interfaces. You need to transfer this data between the systems. And uh, <clears throat> it's hard to build a parser uh, to handle all different kind of documents. And uh, uh, with the document AI, uh, it's a good opportunity to uh, work in this domain. and. Even there are uh, at this at the moment there are quite a lot of different companies um, focusing on document AI and it's a quite popular topic. But since uh, the market is huge, uh, it's even there is a competition. Still, um, it's it's a good thing because it's uh, the, the market is huge. And yeah, this was probably the, the main motivation. Document AI to start with ML for me. Uh, because I think this is the, at least at, uh, currently at this moment, the most practical use case which can be applied for enterprise customers. And since I come from the enterprise background, this was this was the most kind of common sense use case for me. Because initially I was looking into uh, forecasting and uh, uh, like uh, business rule automation with ML, like calculating uh, uh, if uh, some transaction is uh, valid or not or calculating if, for example, insurance claim is uh, uh, have some mistakes or it can be automatically approved and so on. So this is what this is. This is the field I started first with ML. Uh, but uh, while uh, working with uh, this uh, forecasting or business rule domain, I found that it's hard to uh, propose it to the potential customers uh, because Kind of mm, all usually it's nice to have, and uh, people tend to focus on some primary issues they they have, and they it's hard for them to invest into this kind of uh, even it makes sense it's it sounds good it, it's hard to make people to invest into that, but document AI is a different story because it's uh, it's a first priority usually to uh, improve uh, the performance of the document processing, document data extraction. So this is where this more uh, realistic domain, I think. Got it. Yeah, it makes sense. So, so yeah, I mean, th there are a ton of solutions out there, as you point out, regarding document AI. I mean, there's, uh, you know, Microsoft has its suite of cloud APIs yeah. and all the cloud providers have something. And then there's yeah, this these kind of like... Yeah, from, from because I in touch with um, uh, those Oracle customers I was working yeah. before, and there's a huge concern uh, related to privacy. So they don't want to use those cloud uh, solutions. Most of them, they don't want to use cloud because the uh, documents usually are confidential and they don't want um, some like a cloud engine to, to process the documents. So they prefer local uh, local solutions like Donut, yeah. example model, or what I'm exploring also now, uh, like large language models, but not on the cloud, but the private ones, which could run on, on a local infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you, I mean, with all those other tools out there, I mean, certainly one advantage of something like Sparrow is you can run it uh, on-premise. You don't have to worry about the data privacy issues that come with adopting cloud. What, what else is there as far as, like, opportunities that you see to kind of make Sparrow something that is 
better than uh, some of the other tools out there? Uh, yeah, so the <clears throat> my goal is uh, to have it as open source, uh, first of all, and uh, it should be the uh, open source uh, which is very convenient to use, so that you can just uh, someone could take it and use it. And uh, yeah, if for more advanced use cases uh, or for consulting, they they could contact us and uh, we could do it like uh, like extra work. But uh, really, I focus my like. Um, my uh, real goal is to make it uh, a successful open source uh, uh, product that helps uh, co companies just to start up with local document AI quick. And uh, yeah, so that's the main goal. Got it, got it, cool. So tell me, tell me about that, because that's, and, that's kind of you know, and Another product, uh, Skipper, which... Uh, uh, is is set is you can think about like a uh, like a template that helps to run microservices on Kubernetes, for example. So it's like an infrastructure, and then the Sparrow Document AI runs on on, on Skipper, and this is an additional advantage for someone who wants to use microservices, so they don't need to uh, from the ground zero start exploring how they could set up the microservices infrastructure. For the document AI, then you could just they could uh, run it on top of this uh, Skipper infrastructure that we provide, uh, also open source. Yeah. Okay. So you got Sparrow and Skipper. Yeah, I saw that you have, you're doing a little bit in sort of like the ML app sphere, in addition yeah. to Sparrow. Although I hadn't realized that they were connected to one another. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, and I, I found you by way of, of researching Donut. So t tell us a little bit about Donut and why that's your model of choice for for building what you're building. Yeah, so Donut is recently new uh, new model from like uh, from last year. It, it it became public and also open source. So uh, there are a couple of advantages of Donut. First, it's uh, it's allowed to be used for the commercial use cases, so it's completely free. And this means you can integrate it into uh, our product, which we could uh, sell, for example, which is open source, but also we could sell for some customers who want advanced support, for example. And uh, another very strong technical advantage is that Sparrow returns data in the form of key-value pairs, because other uh, open models like LayoutLM, uh, they return data set which uh, marks, for example, uh, certain field as a question and certain field as an answer, but there is no direct mapping between the fields. So if uh, you need yourself to try and figure out uh, ways, for example, uh, ways the label of uh, total, ways the value of the total, and if um, the data is um, kind of on the same line, then it's hard to to understand uh, with uh, additional processing. But uh, the output of the donut is key value pairs, and uh, you out of the box get JSON, and you could you you just can do whatever with this. JSON, uh, like storing database and uh, send uh, data to other uh, systems and so on. Cool. And uh... and many question, many people actually ask on uh, YouTube the question how you could uh, get uh, for the result that is coming from uh, Donald, how you can get confidence scores uh, for, for the certain fields. And this is not, uh, uh, Donald doesn't provide confidence scores for the for the results. So uh, yeah, in this case, it's different than layout LM or other models uh, because it just returns uh, JSON data uh, as output. Got it. So I think a lot of people who are 
maybe not following the the latest. Yeah, and, and sorry, uh, another, big yeah, another big difference with Donut is that it doesn't require OCR. So uh, OCR happens internally. So you just provide the image, and then it extracts uh, text from the, from the image automatically. Right, right. So this is this is a key to understand is like maybe maybe five six years ago or even more recently, right? The kind of standard do document processing pipeline. The first step was you get the document and then you run optical character recognition to get yeah. the text of the document, and then you have basically a natural language problem instead of a document understanding problem. But the issue is you've you've lost everything regarding the structure and the appearance of of the document, yeah. and that information is not kind of encapsulated into the text. So I'm wondering, if, can you can you talk a little bit about like you know, you talk you talk to a lot of a lot of cl potential clients probably about you know why they should adopt something like Sparrow and and think about document AI in 2023. I'm guessing a lot of those clients already have something in place that's like yeah. OCR based. How do you how do you navigate that? How do you kind of explain to a client you know hey you have you have this thing that's working and it's pretty smart but what's kind of like the the next uh, iteration on that. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, for example, one customer comes uh, on my mind now. Yeah, they already uh, have a solution that they run for uh, for like 10 years probably, uh, which uh, extracts uh, data from the documents. But uh, there are certain limitations. Uh, first of all, it's kind of legacy uh, system and it's hard to maintain. And it's kind of ex expensive uh, license. I think uh, then uh, the accuracy of the text extraction is they are not very happy because uh, it works based on the templates. So this means you, uh, if you, uh, by chance, you get a new document which is completely different layout structure, then this um, uh, the engine fails and you need to create a, a new template. And um, it's kind of lots of... Lots of uh, uh, work is involved in template creation and and maintenance of the templates. So obviously they would like to replace uh, this with something newer and which would require less uh, maintenance from this side and uh, would provide better accuracy right, for the data for the, for the data extraction. So when you when you're having these conversations, do you find that clients kind of already know that they have this problem, or do you find yourself kind of trying to explain, you know, why why something like what you're talking about is is better, yeah. Okay. Uh, no, usually they know already. Yeah, yeah, they, are, yeah. They, they they kind of uh, so this is why they uh, they they kind of spend time to discuss this because they they know this problem and uh, there's room for improvement, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, actually, yeah. I think well, I find I find that that the the people I've spoken with about document yeah. processing problems definitely know they have a problem they don't always know the solution but the problem very much so so yeah one other thing you mentioned that okay so you mentioned that you're you're looking at using LLMs yeah, as something that's kind of part of the solution so I assume that's different from from donut right so how, how does that fit into the picture yeah because uh, to me the main limitation of donut is that you still need quite a lot of training data, uh, like, uh, for example, invoice samples or other kind of uh, document samples. Uh, for example, 500 documents you need to to build, to fine-tune the base model uh, to be able to work on a certain set of invoices. And then uh, it handles 
if, if there's a new invoice of different layout, it, it's able to handle, but, uh, but uh, still there's a chance that it will fail because the model is pre-trained uh, on a certain layouts and if there's a huge uh, set of uh, customers that send different uh, uh, invoices, for example, then there's a high chance that it will fail at a certain time if um, uh, this kind of layout will not be included in a, in a fine-tuning set. And uh, that's one thing. And another thing is to to build this um, uh, set for the fine data set for, for the fine tuning, you need to do annotations, uh, and you need to assign uh, labels. Uh, so that's all manual work. And uh, <clears throat> uh, to build uh, uh, annotations and assign labels, and uh, for like 500 documents, uh, it's uh, quite quite a lot of time. With now experience. It may take like uh, mm-hmm. two months, for example, for if it's a single uh, data analyst to work. Uh, because when data is coming from OCR, uh, often uh, this wrong grouping, so they need to group uh, correctly the fields uh, because the, the sequential order may not be uh, the same as it is in the document. So uh, like a part of the data may be uh, on, on position 5, for example, then the rest of the data on position 10, and they need to uh, regroup this data to make it look exactly the same like in the document, then assign uh, labels and uh, assign groups and so on. So this, uh, this is a manual work. And uh, if there are many invoices, obviously, there will be... Uh, there'll be quite a lot of uh, work like that. So with LLMs, uh, the advantage you get is that out of the box, you kind of handle th- this work uh, because you just may ask, um, you provide the document and you ask LLM like uh, where, <coughs> uh, like what wh- what is the total value or what, uh, pre- please bring me all invoice uh, item lines, for example, and you get back the result. Uh, because LLM uh, out of the box can identify uh, structure of the document and identify relationships. So it can I- identify where is the invoice date, for example, where is the uh, total, um, and so on. So with this information that you get out of the box, you can either improve this annotation step, uh, automate it, so there will be less uh, manual work. Maybe you just give person just to review uh, how those annotations automatically were created and then you could use this data to fine-tune donut model uh, or you may use uh, if the documents are uh, complexity of the documents is not uh, uh, the I mean layout structure is not very cumbersome then uh, you can use straight LLMs to extract data from from the documents got it so it's that the annotation step I understand is okay. So so improving improving the ability to annotate documents with LLMs. Yeah. It sounds like you're saying there's also and something uh, another like prediction thing, step uh, too. Uh, yeah, and another thing where LLMs are useful is uh, data fixing because with Donut uh, you may get sometimes because Donut does OCR internally, so it may uh, produce uh, spelling mistakes, uh, like uh, it can extract the uh, certain. Uh, invoice item name, but uh, some letters may be incorrect. And uh, it's a good thing uh, before giving the result, final result, to go through the LLM and you can ask a, qu- uh, ask 
question like please fix the spelling for this uh, uh, for this name for example and LLM is quite good uh, to, to to fix the spelling and provide the correct uh, correct text okay so that's the, the post processing part yeah that, that makes sense so one thing I've, I've been reading a little bit about and I'm, I'm interested in is um, visual question answering with donut I'm working I'm working on a problem right now actually that has um, so it's a document understanding problem, but the issue is that not all of the information that we're trying to extract is on the document. So there's some kind of like conventional machine learning type of tasks where we're learning from a history of how other documents have been processed and trying to figure out a modeling approach where we can kind of efficiently learn from that history and, and, generate, and, and generate outputs that include sort of rec recognition of content of the document as well as some of that like other other information I, I'm I guess I'm curious since you've been playing with um, with donut quite a bit is that is that a use a sort of use case that you've explored at all and you know have you ever come across that sort of situation in your document processing work mm, no no not really okay, so I'll stop I'm focusing just on specific data extraction yeah, yeah. like so my, specific search, my search for a solution continues <laughs> this one yeah so, okay, so let's talk a little bit about your, your product plan. So I, I've, I've been watching more of your recent YouTube videos and it sounds like you're, uh, you're building a ChatGPT plugin for, for Sparrow as well. How, how did that idea come about and how's it going? Yeah, it's actually already, uh, I completed this task and I uh, submitted to ChatGPT uh, team for review and review was uh, successful, it was approved and this plugin is in uh, ChatGPT store now and uh, just now mo monitoring the usage. Uh, yeah, and yeah, the idea was when uh, ChatGPT published that, uh, team that they published that there is option to create plugins. I applied for, for this bet, uh, beta and I got access. And then I thought, uh, uh, l let's see how ChatGPT would work when on my own backend, I'll do OCR. So, uh, so um, I do. I, I created Streamlit UI application where user can upload the uh, image or PDF, and then mm -hmm. this data is sent to uh, my backend, and uh, uh, Paddle OCR is being used there to extract data, and then I get this array of text, uh, and mm -hmm. Paddle OCR is good because it's out of the box could, could guess and group related words. So this especially uh, works very well for, with receipts because it can see that on a single line, for example, uh, it goes uh, uh, certain uh, like a grocery name uh, and it may, may split into uh, multiple words and then it can group those words into the single element and then it goes uh, the price, it's a, it's a separate element and so on and then it goes on the next line and, and so on. So the output from the Paddle OCR it's array of text, but this text uh, is grouped uh, quite well. And then I thought, okay, let's. Uh, then I just got this raw text and I copy pasted it into the uh, chat GPT and I asked, uh, like, what do you think about this text? And uh, I was quite um, surprised that it uh, worked very well and it was able to understand that this is probably data from receipt and it, out of the box it assigned uh, key value pairs properly and group like uh, item names with prices. Uh, uh, so all the grouping was done uh, very well. So then I thought, okay, let's let's build this plugin, and uh, in future I could use this plugin like uh, advertisement uh, 
uh, option for for the spiral because it's nice to have some like a live li live solution actually running uh, where someone could access it and test it out and see how it works and because uh, this plugin is included into the chat gpt store so it's a nice ni nice uh, entry point for the users to find your work basically instead of uh, publishing uh, just uh, some uh, web UI on your own web page. Uh, it's uh, much harder to attract users to come to your web page, but for ChatGPT it's easier. Right? Uh, at least it's supposed to be so. Yeah. So then I uh, created this backend with OCR and also created backend for with certain rules uh, which allow to ChatGPT understand how to work with the plugin. Like uh, it's it knows uh, when user types, for example, that he wants to uh, analyze received data, then it automatically suggests option to update the file. Then when you update the file, you get the key, temporary key for the file, paste it into ChatGPT, and ChatGPT is fetching from the backend this uh, array of text, out of the box processing it, and it, it stores also this data in uh, through our backend in MongoDB. So this data is not... Uh, the user can come back to uh, to ChatGPT like uh, the next day, tomorrow, the day after, and they uh, would have access to the data that they saved because uh, we make it persistent and we store it in a database. So that's uh, also advantage of this plugin. Because most of the uh, existing ChatGPT plugins, they they don't uh, persist the data; it just uh, it works on the same session. But since we persist the data, then user can uh, upload multiple receipts, and in future, user can fetch data about those receipts and make ChatGPT uh, to, for example, calculate uh, all the totals from the receipts, can tell on which dates, uh, on which, for example, weekday, uh, user was spending more money than on an another day, uh, like how much money was spent uh, two weeks ago and how much money last week, and. Uh, user can ask uh, <clears throat> if he can try to buy some uh, more healthy food, what food is not healthy that he's buying and so on. So all this, uh, we just, from the backend, we provide the array of data and all the actual querying and uh, analysis of the data happens on ChatGPT. So in this case, the plugin acts as a, a helper for ChatGPT to... Uh, provide array of data and to store this data in the backend. Yeah, so that's got it. So I'm I'm curious whether when you were considering building this, was were you viewing it more as um, a marketing channel, or do you actually see this as something that you know enterprise users would use as a as an interface to some of the functionality? Uh, no, at this point, I think it's it's just like more like a marketing channel for Sparrow. Yeah. Got it. How how has that gone, by the way? Like, I'm I'm curious. Do, do people kind of go into ch into ChatGPT and and try out new um, new plugins? And have you actually been able to tell that you've kind of like found people in your pipeline through that that channel? Yeah, because I'm using um, for this plugin, I'm using security authentication, and from ChatGPT, this requirement uh, since. Uh, since there's a persistent functionality, so next time user comes, I need to identify the user, right? So for, for this purpose, uh, ChatGPT recommends to use OAuth, and I'm using some uh, third-party platform called Log2 for the security, for the authentication, and I can uh, check for this uh, platform how many users are accessing the 
plugin. Um, yeah, so it's actually uh, it was posted like four weeks ago, and uh, around thirty unique users were logged in and they're kind of active and using it. So, and every day like two three users are coming uh, at least now. So it's I think it's is quite good, especially that if you go to the uh, ChatGPT plugin store, there are so many plugins there. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, this means people are going to search and they're specifically searching for something like uh, either receipts or, or or data extraction or storage, and then this way they can find the plugin and try it out. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see how that evolves as like um, just a, a channel for for SaaS builders to kind of find find customers because more and more people are spending time in in the chat GPT yeah, yeah, user interface. So the, 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 this was also the reason. To build the plugin and let's see how ChatGPT in the future will work, how it will evolve, and yeah, I believe that it will evolve and probably they'll improve supports for uh, plugins. And it's nice to have a plugin published there early. And yeah, it's it's and just let's see how it goes in the future. So maybe maybe it will be useful. Yeah, yeah. Were there any were there any gaps you saw? I haven't actually used the plugin framework myself. Is 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 there? Um... Anything that you felt like was was missing or still sort of immature? Um, well, I think it's it's quite good. Maybe the the complex part was uh, if the most complex part for me was uh, security configuration uh, because uh, <laughs> you, uh, they don't provide you like a username who is using the the chat GPT username. You don't get from them. Uh, I guess this is for security and privacy reasons. So they don't share the the, the user from the chat GPT. And if you want to build this persistent plugin, uh, you want to have some information about the user uh, who is uh, who is using your plugin. And for that, they, based on documentation, they recommend to uh, integrate OAuth solution. And yeah, documentation is very very uh, general. It's just like uh, there's not uh, there's, there are no detailed examples about it. So I, I spent a week or so to trying out different uh, OAuth. Uh, backends and uh, integrating it with uh, ChatGPT, uh, but then the, uh, the guys from the Log2, they were I, I, I sent some uh, questions uh, to them for the support channel, and they were able to help. And yeah, it worked out uh, at the end. But I was uh, at some point I was uh, very close, to thinking that probably. It would not work out this way, and maybe I'll need to find some other way to to to, to make it work. So, yeah. So this was quite challenging. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. Uh... And another thing, I think the the plugin store. Um, yeah, I think they have a plans to improve it, uh, like uh, to introduce categories because now uh, there are so many plugins, and it's just um, uh, hard to find uh, the plugin you want. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I noticed that as a, as a user. Yeah. yeah. But uh, as they say, it's in beta, so you cannot complain too much, right? So probably uh, yeah, it's in, 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 in progress, so hopefully it will be improved uh, at some point of time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, let's see, what else is, is worth talking about? So, I mean, I think one thing that I think a lot of people are trying to figure out now is where where to look in their business to to discover kind of new new opportunities to invest in AI because um, as you know like you know 
with with ChatGPT came out, and you know every every executive team is under pressure to, you know, figure out where where are they deploying their AI, AI dollars, and you know are they behind or are they ahead? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to get your take. I mean, I, I understand that you you see document AI as kind of like a key area, but you know, if you're just sort of asked at a high level, like you know, where where should enterprises today focus their their efforts on on AI? What are what are some other things that you would say come up? Um, yeah, I think yeah, like like areas with the data forecasting is uh, quite quite interesting, and probably. Um, Business rules, automation, and but again, those uh, those areas where it's not something new, like this uh, HG Boost, yeah, for example, yeah. which works great on a, on a table data, and already many companies are using it. And um, but but still, there is a huge probably ninety percent of the companies are not using um, AI to uh, to automate business rules just because it works like like it works, and they don't want to. Uh, break anything, for example. So it's it's hard to say. Uh, but again, if you look on Twitter or on YouTube, so most of the examples related to AI, you'll, uh, you'll find around uh, uh, images, like, like some images or uh, audio or the video processing and so on. So so all those examples are nice, but uh, it's an enterprise. Uh, someone from the enterprise looks into that. They they don't really find any value because um, they don't know how to apply it for their business because it's uh, yeah so it's it's hard to say yeah yeah it's, I guess it, it does it does vary depending on depending on the company so yeah, depends on the company also yeah yeah I guess I'm asking more because it's it seems like maybe compared to a year ago so many more things are are possible because of the investments going into I think I think in particular LLMs but um, yeah I guess like so these hi- these hybrid visual and yeah. language models yeah, i think are, are really yeah. interesting and I'm, I'm curious to get maybe your take on like where, where are we in the evolution of of those new models and you know what what might be possible in like a year or two that's that's not possible today mm, oh it's, it's a very very tough question because if uh, yeah you don't know what happens yeah. next week you know, we are trying to next week you may get so i have to put you on the spot yeah um yeah it's hard, it's hard to say, uh, but uh, f- uh, maybe it would be better if I would say what, uh, from my perspective, I would l- love that uh, what would what should be possible in the future is uh, hopefully uh, AI uh, would be more accessible uh, for developers. You know, because now if you want to run those uh, large language models, uh, most likely you would need a huge GPU, which is very expensive and uh, uh, it's uh, hard to get it on the cloud. It's expensive and, and you cannot buy this workstation because it's also very expensive. So what I would love to is for ML and for AI to be more accessible in terms of the computing power and uh, we should have ML and AI be able to run on like a developer machines like we run um, Java, for example, or Python. So the, the, this would be uh, my dream, and hopefully, uh, in few years, uh, uh, there will be some improvements in this domain. Got it. So um, because I believe when 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 we'll be able to run when we'll be able to have smaller ML models, and when we'll be able to run them on uh, simpler hardware, then there'll be even more progress overall because more people would get 
axis, uh, then uh, experiments would get would run quicker, and yeah, there'll be more chances to build something new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting things to be small and run fast is so important for experimentation. Um, easy to get, easy to get uh, kind of lost in the uh, technical difficulties of, of bigger models. Yeah, and actually, and it's uh, if you if you look on Twitter, for example, uh, already there's a trend, for example, to for LLMs. Um, uh, people explain how to run them locally on your own computer, uh, how to do inference on your own computer. So if we think about it, like five years ago, uh, no one would uh, talk this way, and uh, everyone would say, "Okay, we have a cloud. Why we would run?" on your own computer, just uh, go and use uh, Collab, for example, <clears throat> to, to run all the stuff. But um, these days, the trend seems uh, shifting a bit, and uh, it's kind of cool uh, when the model runs on, on a local computer. So hopefully this trend would grow, and uh, going into the future, uh, this performance of uh, ML models would improve, and uh, we'll have more chances to run them quicker. So at, at risk of asking you to predict the future again, I mean, do, do you think that's a trend that, that will continue, the kind of the shift towards doing more ML and AI, let's say locally, uh, as opposed to in the cloud, or even maybe like on-premise versus in the cloud? Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah, because, the, you know, uh, everything goes in a loop. So the, the cloud, would, I believe it would not stay forever. And just like, now the trend slowly returns on premise, and especially uh, you should keep in mind those um, small devices, um, like uh, edge devices. Uh, so uh, when we'll have, uh, I think there'll be more and more use cases with the edge devices with the small ML models and uh, running ML directly on those uh, small devices, and uh, then uh, so instead of running uh, on the cloud. So, so I think the trend is going towards the edge devices, and this hurts cloud. And uh, naturally, uh, more models should should run on on premise. Yeah, yeah. I guess here's a question. So, if 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 there's any practitioners listening in who are interested in getting started with Document AI and trying out Sparrow, what what's involved in doing that? Like in terms of practical steps, uh, what do you do, and and what what sort of concepts do you have to understand to to work with it? Yeah, so first of all, uh, important concept is that Sparrow is split into different services. So it's a not, not a, a single big system. And this is done on purpose because <clears throat> different people may have different uh, requirements and different use cases. So there's a service for the data processing, then there's a ML processing service, then there's a UI, UI, UI service, and there's this um, specific chat GPT plugin service, for example. So someone is who, who is looking to to run OCR, for example, or uh, data transformation, they could uh, just run uh, data service. Someone who wants to run ML, uh, then they run uh, ML service. And the idea is that uh, Sparrow is not attached to any specific ML model like Donut, for example. So going uh, forward, like now I'm working on LLMs. So this means the ML service will also get... Uh, Besides the donut support, it will get LLM support. And we're using uh, for the API, we're using fast fast API framework, Python framework. And this means that in in this fast API, uh, basically it will get another router 
which in, will include API for LLM. So, so then you'd be able to switch off uh, Donut and switch on uh, LLM or otherwise around, for example. Yeah. And I'm trying to keep uh, readme files and documentation as detailed as possible because I'm, when I'm installing kind of uh, when I'm implementing new functionality, I'm always keeping track and adding, updating the readme file. And yeah, some people who, who are already installing the Sparrow, they they didn't have complaints. There, there maybe they, they, there were some questions, and based on those questions, I updated readme file. So, so the instructions in the readme file are up to date and uh, kind of step by step. So, if you follow the instructions, then you, you are good to go. Got it. I thought I would ask that because actually I, I got Sparrow running on my laptop before the call just because I w wanted to check it out. Oh. And uh, yeah, I was wondering like what are why why had you organized it in those modules, um, and and which one should I start with? And that yeah, the main idea was uh, that I don't want to attach like to specific ML model, and uh, the, this the idea was to keep uh, things separate. So, in the so that in the future, when new things uh, appear, like LLM or whatever, then it's easier to uh, update certain parts of the application without breaking something else, for example. Cool. Well, I think it's it's a very cool piece of software from what I've seen so far, and uh, in general, I'm excited about you know what what you and Katana ML can accomplish because um, I, know, I think the whole document AI area is is very exciting and. Uh, also, hope to uh, continue to watch some good good YouTube videos from you, Andre. So, um, before, before we close, uh, where where can listeners find you and um, and learn more about what you're up to? Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, yeah, my, and on LinkedIn and on YouTube. And yeah, anytime if someone have a question, can just drop the message, and I'm quite fast usually to reply. Cool. Well, thanks so much for your time. This was fun. And um, yeah, have a good one. Okay, thanks. Bye. And that's it for the show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast app of choice. Once again, the show is brought to you by Endeavor Labs, a data and AI-focused consultancy run by yours truly. If you have feedback about the podcast or want to talk data, please reach out, nathan at endeavorlabs.co. Once again, that's nathan at endeavorlabs.co. I'll see you next time.